our lives. So the first barrier that we have here is the barrier of personal comfort. It is a barrier of personal comfort. In our culture today, most especially, there is this invitation to follow Christ because he's your friend and he loves you and he wants to make your life better and he wants to bless you. But it doesn't really require anything from you. And so when we begin to understand what it means to be a true disciple, a true follower of Christ, there is this barrier of personal comfort. There's something that we are going to have to give up or let go of that we may not be willing or interested in letting go of. So as Jesus confronted the crowd that was following him in Luke chapter 9, we read these words. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you remember, when Jesus called his disciples, they left everything behind to follow him. They left their homes, they left their livelihood, they laid it all at the call to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes in our relationship with God, there is this call on our lives that requires us to let go of comfort in order to take the next step in our relationship with Christ. It might be the the lack of time that we would prefer to have for ourselves. It might be spending less time in our leisure and in our hobby. It might mean giving more time and money to the ministries of the church. There's this comfort level that we have surrounded ourselves with that will become a barrier to taking these next steps and following Jesus and being the kind of disciple that pleases him and lives a life that is intentionally being lived for him. Secondly, there is this barrier of personal loss. As we continue in Luke chapter 9, as they were going, on, going along, another said to him, follow me. And he said, Jesus said, follow me. And he said, but Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Now that seems a little harsh with this request to go and bury my father. But as you understand the culture and the context of what Jesus was saying, the Jews didn't embalm the dead. They buried them the day that they actually died. And so what this individual was saying was this, if I leave everything behind and I follow you now, then I will likely lose my inheritance as the firstborn child. Because if I go off and my family doesn't know where I am, my inheritance is going to be shared with other members of my family. The father was not yet dead, but he was old. And he was likely going to die in the very near future. It could have been weeks, it could have been months, it could have been a few more years. But this man wanted to protect his financial interests before he was willing to leave it all behind and follow the Lord. You know, there is something that we're going to lose in our journey with the Lord. We are going to lose something of ourselves as a disciple who wants to live a life intentionally for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, there is this barrier of personal relationships. Luke chapter 9, verses 60 through 61, as they were going along, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the the kingdom 
of God. You know, there are a lot of people who would have an interest in taking the next step with the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're afraid of what that's going to do to the relationship they have, whether it be a husband or a wife, whether it is their friends or their extended family, whether it is their co-workers. I remember what it was like when I was first saved. I'm a first-generation Christian, and all of my closest relationships were with my brothers. And I knew very quickly in my salvation experience, I was saved in California, I lived in Florida, and I knew when I was saved I needed to go home and I needed to share the gospel with my brothers. I needed to live a life of change before them. But I knew that being a Christian was likely going to jeopardize my relationship with my brothers, and you know what it did. They never saw me the same. They weren't willing to hang out and do things with me any longer. I went from having very close relationships with my brothers and having a small circle of friends in my life to having nobody. But I also recognized that this God that I loved and I needed so desperately in my life was worth the loss as compared to the relationships that I would have with other people. Well, there is this result of not giving to the Lord all that we are in our journey with him, and that result is spiritual stagnation. The spiritual stagnation means that we are going to remain an infant. We will remain immature, or perhaps we won't even make the salvation commitment because we aren't willing to give up these things in order to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We see this example of spiritual stagnation expressed in Hebrews chapter 5, where the writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. You know, today the church is filled up with people who have been Christians for 20, 30, and 40 years, and they can barely explain the elementary principles of the gospel message, but they can never ever take the responsibility of leading a group of people to grow in their relationship with God because spiritually they are still infants who are nursing on the bottle as opposed to devouring the meat of God's word. I wonder what would happen in our world today. I wonder what would happen in the universal church today if every Christian who has been a Christian for more than 10 years would take great seriousness about the word of God and be intentional to learn it in such a way that they would be willing and able to lead another group of people. I wonder what would happen in our church today. I wonder what would happen in the universal church today. I wonder what kind of impact would take place in our world today if the vast majority of Christians were not infants nursing on the milk of the word, but were serious-minded Christians who wanted to do all they could for this God that has loved them and has saved them by his grace. 
well, the first follower, first stage of discipleship is a follower, and there are some very significant barriers to move to the next stage in being a disciple of Christ. The second stage is that of an owner. When you are an owner, it means that you own the responsibility for your spiritual growth. You are not dependent upon your pastor or a radio preacher or the books that you read or the friends that you hang out with who might give you some dose of truth in your life. You take the responsibility for your growth in the Lord. So the first characteristic of an owner is very simply this. He is growing in his relationship with God. We see this expressed in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, let me be very honest and very clear with you. None of us are ever going to be perfect in our application of the fruit of the Spirit that we see expressed in these two short verses. We are always going to have room to grow. There's always more when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit being lived out, born out, produced from our life. But an owner is growing in his relationship. He's growing in his relationship with God. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. It is understanding the love that God has for us. This everlasting love, this long-suffering love, this love that has enabled us to know Him and to be saved by His grace. This love of God produces such joy in our lives that our temporary circumstances do nothing to diminish the love we have for the Lord, the love that we experience from the Lord, and our circumstances and difficulty and hardship will not erode the peace that we have knowing that we belong to Him. An owner is growing in how he relates to other people. We see this expressed with patience and kindness and goodness. It is the kind of Christian virtue and attribute that dictates how we interact, not only with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also with those who are outside of the family of God. Do they see patience in us? Do they see goodness and kindness in us that is distinct and different from what a non-believer can produce in their life, because after all, each of us can produce some kind of kindness and goodness in our life, but it will never compare to the kind of virtue that is produced as the Holy Spirit does His work in our lives. Thirdly, the owner is growing in godly conduct. We see this expressed in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control. There is this increase in the holiness that we see being lived out in our lives. Although we may never be all that we are intended to be, we are certainly different from what we used to be. And it isn't just behavior modification. It is the righteousness that our relationship with Christ produces in our lives. So an owner is growing. Secondly, an owner is feeding himself. We see this expressed 
in so many different verses. Hebrews 5.14, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. An owner feeds himself because he is studying the Word of God. He is spending time meditating on the truth of God's Word. He is praying that God's Word would be lived out in his life. He desires to be able to teach it in some form or fashion because of the impact that it's having in his own life. Thirdly, an owner is obeying Christ. There is an increase in the way that we are obeying the commands of God in our lives. First Peter 1, 14 and 15, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Again, it's not behavior modification. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us producing a righteousness that we cannot produce on our own. Now, there are barriers for the owner to get to the third stage of discipleship, and that barrier is the perception of time. I just don't have time to do any more than I'm doing right now. I am overloaded in my schedule. I get up early and I go to work and I get home later than I would prefer. And I've got all these other things going on in my life. I just don't have the time. Notice that this this barrier is a perception of time. I remember some years ago being at a pastor's conference and Henry Blackaby was one of the keynote speakers. And I don't know if you remember Henry Blackaby and the books that he has written most, most prolifically, Experiencing God. And it was a 12-week study course that seriously revolutionized the relationships that God's children were having with the one who had saved them. I remember him saying that he was speaking at a conference sometime in the past And he was talking about the necessity of spending time in God's Word on a daily basis. And a businessman who was under deep conviction came to him at the end of the conference and said this. He said, you know, Mr. Blackaby, I get up incredibly early to go to work. I'm on the road at 5 o'clock to get to my office at 6. And I drag myself out of my office at 5 or 6 o'clock and I get home at 7. And before the man could finish explaining his predicament, Mr. Blackaby said this, get up at 5, get up at 4. Get up as early as you must in order to spend time with God because you must be in God's Word on a daily basis. So there's this great perception of time and our lack of it that will prevent us from taking this next step in this progression of discipleship. And here's the bottom line. We will make time for what is most important to us. I've heard many, many people say, I just don't have time, but they can go golf. I just don't have time, but they watch hours and hours of TV. I just don't have time, but they find time for their hobbies and their leisure. Not having time is a perceived barrier that keeps us from taking this next step in this progression of discipleship. Secondly, this perception of ability. You know, I just, I'm just not capable of doing that. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I heard this when I was a three-year-old Christian. I'd gone off to a Bible school, a Christian university, and I remember hearing somebody say that God doesn't call the equipped, but God will equip those that He has called. And as a young 
immature believer. I heard those words, and I knew what God was calling me to do. You see, I just learned about this opportunity to go to the northwest part of the United States and be a part of a 10-week revival team, and they needed somebody to preach. I didn't want to do that. I didn't feel capable of doing that. I didn't know enough to be able to do that. But as I heard those words and as God began to work in my heart that God will equip the called, I began to pray. And I couldn't escape this idea that this is what God was calling me to do. So I went. And it was not magnificent, I can promise you that. But you know, over the course of those 10 weeks, some 55 people made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I don't know what come of them. They were in Oregon and Washington. But I didn't think I had the ability to do what God was calling me to do. And see, this is the great thing, is that where you are unable, God is able. Where you are incapable, the Holy Spirit is more than able to make up for whatever we lack and being expert communicators or profound teachers. What God is looking for are people who are willing and he will do the rest. There is this perception that I just don't have the ability to do what God is calling me to do and to take the next step in this progression of discipleship. Thirdly, there is this perception of need. Surely somebody else is going to meet this need. Surely someone else will accomplish this in my absence. I'm too busy. I'm really not smart enough. I really am not capable enough. Somebody else is going to meet this need. Isn't that right? Well, I can tell you in every church I've ever been in, there's a greater need than there is a willingness of people to serve. I don't know that that's ever going to change. But I can tell you this. You look at the world around you. You look at the people in the church around you, and there is always more need than we are going to be able to solve in our lives. The need is great. The need is overwhelming. The need is seemingly insurmountable. But when God's people respond to the call and take the steps necessary in their relationship with Him, then we will be able to accomplish all that God has called us to and desires in our life as we seek Him and as we give ourselves to Him. Well, the third stage in this progression of discipleship is that of a reproducer. Not just a follower, not just a self-contained owner of my own spiritual life, but a reproducer. There are some characteristics of a reproducer. Number one, they have personalized Christ's commission. You know, we began this discussion on discipleship last week with a very brief out overview of the Great Commission. As Jesus was about to ascend back into heaven... He says to go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so a reproducer has taken the Great Commission personally. It wasn't just for the disciples. It isn't just for the vocational staff. It isn't just for the missionaries. But it is for me as a disciple, as a child of God, who seeks to do all that God has called me to do. You know, in a quick 
preview of the book of Acts. There is no shortage of verses that speak to the reproduction that was taking place in the early church as the disciples were obeying and following and doing what God had called them to do. We're very famous, very, very aware of what we see in Acts chapter 2. But there's other verses in the book of Acts that I'm not going to show you. I'm going to read very quickly. Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers. And they were living in the fear of the Lord. In Acts 11.24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 17.4, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a few prominent women. You see, all throughout the early days of Christianity, they had personalized the Great Commission in such a way that they could not conceivably imagine not personally participating in reproducing themselves in the lives of other people. So the first characteristic of a reproducer is he has personalized Christ's commission. Number two, he cares for the un discipled. He's not content to allow the undiscipled to stay immature in their faith. He cares about their growth. He cares about the impact of being ill-prepared to face life in this world apart from the truth of God's word. And so we read in Philippians chapter 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, so that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is necessary for your sake. You see, what Paul wanted more than anything else was to leave this world and go and be with Christ. But he understood it was necessary for him to remain on this earth for the sake of those in Philippi in the other regions where he had seen people come to Christ because Paul knew that they needed to continue to grow and mature in their faith. I wonder what is our thoughts about those who are undiscipled? Do we care at all? Do we even give it a thought? We just assume somebody else is going to fill the gap and meet the need. Well, the reproducer takes it seriously and personally and cares greatly for those that have not grown in their relationship with the Lord. Number three, the producer lives in the light of eternity. You see, the reproducer understands that our lives are not about this world, but our lives are about our eternal world, the life that we will live forever in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is a great example of that. The apostles are great examples of that. Surely there have been men and women that we have looked at in history that have been great examples of that. 
We look at this in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews speaking of Moses, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see, all throughout the pages of the Bible, we see this example of those who have given everything they have to the relationship with Jesus Christ. They've forsaken at all in order to make a difference in this world. You see, you may call yourself a disciple, but are you just a follower, nursing on the elementary principles of God's word? Are you owning your faith in such a way that you aren't dependent on others? That's great. But you see, there's another step. That step is reproducing yourself in the lives of other people. You know, our Spanish health ministry connection and our English as a second language is a great opportunity to do that. Being a care group leader is a great way to do that. Being a Bible study teacher is a great way to do that. Getting into a relationship of accountability with a couple of other believers is a great way of doing that. We're not meant to live this life alone. We're meant to live it in relationship with our spiritual family. And our spiritual family needs one another in order to grow and to be who God has called us to be, to do what God has called us to be so that our church can accomplish what God has designed for it to accomplish. For every one of us that says no to moving into ownership and then moving into reproduction, each one that says no diminishes the impact of this church, diminishes the impact of Christianity in this world because there are people that you and you alone are going to be able to reach and grow. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize that our spiritual lives, our salvation is about so much more than just our own relationship with you. But it is about doing what you've called us to do. Making a difference in the lives of other people by helping them to grow in their relationship with you. God, there is no shortage of opportunity I pray that you would not allow us to be content to just remain followers in the distance who cry out to you when there's a time of great need but haven't really taken our relationship with you as seriously as we should. God, I pray for those that are owners of their own relationship with with God that they would not be content to not pour that out in the lives of someone else. God, I pray that you would stir up in each of us a desire to take the next step in our walk with you. Father, for those that are reproducing, how I pray your greatest blessing on their life, how I pray that you would multiply their time and their energy and their effectiveness and their ministry to you. But God, even now, right now, I pray that you would show us where we have drawn a line, where we have said that far and no farther, And I pray, Father, that we would 
sense a deep conviction from your Holy Spirit to awaken us from our slumber and to move us into a more intentional relationship with you. May your Holy Spirit speak loud and clear. May our hearts hear and understand and obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.